VoiceAmericaBusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Entrepreneurs and business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're also giving back to the community, and so can you. Welcome to Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking to make the most of yourself and your business, then you will want to stay tuned for the next hour. Here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper of CC1 Consulting and BeMoreAchievemore.com and I'm absolutely delighted to be uh, back on the show again this week. Oh, actually, it's show 75. Um, I can't quite believe that we're three quarters of the way to 100 shows already. Um, certainly time seems to fly when you're having fun. Um, don't forget that all these shows sit in the archives and you can download them all to MP3. You can listen to them whenever you want. Um, so the entire catalogue is sitting there and available to you. Uh, just a quick thank you before we talk about this week's show uh, to last week's guest, uh, author of the Financial Times Guide to Leadership, Marianne Abi Pesh, who um, obviously spoke with me last week uh, about her key um, learnings and insights when it comes to being a great leader. So today, um, what I want to do today is focus on on teams. Um, we've had several guests who've joined me to talk about this subject, including a, a world record holding transatlantic rower, Kathy Tracy. Um, we talked about this with former world champion boxer Billy Schwer. However, today we're going to take a look at this from a, a real business perspective. Um, teams are just so important, aren't they, to the fabric of successful business performance. Um, myself, I work with business teams and teams of entrepreneurs to help them improve their performance, and this subject is therefore really close to home with me. I've also led um, some pretty large teams in the past, um, but not as many um, people as my guest today, uh, who is uh, Jim Layton. Um, so we're going to talk about um, unleashing the power of your team or teams we're going to discuss how to create fully integrated teams, or fit teams, as Jim says. Leaders today are more than figureheads and bosses. They're team players who spur organizations towards effective change. So we're going to discuss the importance of things like purpose and the five steps uh, that Jim's identified within FIT, um, that's fully integrated teams, uh, which can be applied to help individuals uh, and your teams transform, and also to help create highly successful outcomes and healthy organizational cultures. Now, Jim Layton is the president of Purdue Foods, the largest poultry company in the United States. Um, he's had over 35 years of experience in the consumer packaged goods, food and beverage industry. He's held senior management and executive positions with Conagra Foods, the Haines Celestial Group, Celestial Seasonings and Nabisco. Uh, Jim was the founder and CEO of National Health Management, Inc., and a graduate of the University of Iowa. He holds a master's degree in business administration. He's taught leadership and organizational behavior as a senior faculty member at Keller Graduate School of Business. He serves on the board of directors at Smart Balancing, multiple trade associations, the Atlantic General Hospital Corporation, and foundation boards. Interestingly, while I was talking to him, 
just a few minutes ago before we uh, we went live on the show, I was asked him how many people ultimately report into him, and currently about twenty thousand. But he's had roles in the past. He said of up to fifty thousand. So Jim clearly knows a lot about people, a lot about engaging teams, and his book, um, fully integrated teams or fit. Is a must, I think, if you're, you know, interested in and are serious about results to teams and people. He lives with his wife, uh, Fritzi, in Berlin, in Maryland. A big welcome to Jim Layton. Well, good afternoon. Are oh, you very welcome? Yeah, it's uh, good to have you um, here. And uh, as I mentioned to you, uh, Jim, you're you're over in Maryland, aren't you? I'm over in the the UK, and we've got a, a company over here that I was a consultant for once who manufacture Maryland cookies. I was just wondering, being based in Maryland, and the fact that you've worked for Nabisco, uh, do Maryland cookies come from Maryland? We don't have Maryland cookies in Maryland, but we definitely have cookies, and we definitely love them uh, in the states and in Maryland. <laughs> I think um, the same over here. The same over here. I'm so- as a matter of fact, I was in, in, as you mentioned, with Nabisco for many years, and we used to joke about it because uh, one of the uh, characters, and he is a real character in the book, is my older brother, who's a microvascular and plastic surgeon. So we used to joke with one another. So I'd, I'd fatten him up, and he'd skinny him down. <laughs> yeah, we've got a got a bit of a connection. I, I- I worked for United Biscuits in the United Kingdom once, and and actually we we bought a business, a Nabisco business in Spain, which included sort of your the brands. I think you might have been familiar. Things like Oreos uh, were made uh, and uh, supplied over there. Yep, very familiar. Um, so maybe we could start off with you explaining to us what fully integrated teams are. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh, fully integrated teams, or as I refer to it as FIT, consists of a group of two or more people that come together to do what I call creating something or doing something that no one person or individual can create alone. It can be a married couple. For instance, you mentioned my wife and I. We live in uh, in Berlin, Maryland. We have a daughter, Lauren, and son, Jimmy, and I refer to them as my home team. So that's a team of four. And that team has, fortunately for all of us, has created lasting memories um, and, and hopefully uh, uh, found a lot of happiness and impacted a lot of people's lives. Fully integrated teams can be a sports team. Um, again, you mentioned I live in Maryland. I don't know how many of your listeners uh, watch the Super Bowl, but about 90 miles from here is Baltimore, and the Baltimore Ravens won that, and they didn't win it as individuals. They won it as a team. And fully integrated teams can also be teams within an organization or an entire organization. Uh, people coming together to create something much greater than themselves, or I think, as you refer to it, is be more, achieve more. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> just, just you know, interestingly, from a, a sort of perspective, clearly there's different number of different levels there. Um, but maybe from your kind of background with what you do at the moment, uh, because clearly from an organisational perspective, teams are very important. I mean, what does what does the president of a an organization the size of Perdue Farms, so foods, uh, do? What's, what's your key role within that business? Well, within teams, roles and responsibilities and clarity around roles and responsibilities um, are essential. And a number of people ask me that. I ask, my, that, I ask myself that quite often, as does the chairman of our organization. As a president of Purdue Farms, what do you do, Jim? And basically, my initial response is, if you think about it, what do I do? I really don't do anything relative to making anything, shipping anything, or anything within the value chain in which we uh, we involve ourselves. But what I do do for our teams and for the organization is I set direction, 
I am a servant to the people in the organization, helping them be successful collectively, um, all behind a common goal or whatever it is we're, we're trying to achieve, which I'll get into a little bit later, which I refer to as the promise. So a leader's responsibility is to lead with tenacity and to lead with humility, understanding that they're there to serve, um, the old industrial age uh, concept of directing everyone and telling them exactly what to do no longer works. Uh, we're in a, an age of connections and communication, and people need to be creative. And when you tell ex people exactly what to do every minute of the day, it stifles creativity. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and, and that was something I, I really sensed that was important to you, you know, this, this humility. I remember you telling me a little bit about your family history, um, maybe could you share a bit about that history? Why did yeah? Why it inspired you to to write the book? Yeah, I dedicated the uh, the book to my father. Uh, he was more than a father to me. He was a mentor and uh, a friend. He taught me many valuable lessons that I talk about in the book, but probably none more important than if you want to do something in life, it doesn't matter what it is. You need to do it with people. So you may as well get used to it. You may as well educate yourself and, and understand that. And he, had taught, he really taught me the importance of what I refer to as servant leadership, as well as the importance of tenacity and grit. He taught me the importance of connections and relationships, and he taught me the importance of trust and how, how long it takes to gain trust, how to gain it, but also how to lose it. Um, so his sage advice, along with the 35 or so years of experience in, uh, in professional management uh, is is really where this came from. And it's really uh, uncovering a secret. And one of the reasons, to your point, why I wrote the book was I wanted to share that secret um, and share the secret with people that could benefit. And I wrote this as a way of saying thank you to my father as well as the many mentors I've had in my career. And, uh, you know, life's, uh, life's journey is, is a lot of fun. And I just wanted to share with how I apply this concept to what I do. I'm, and I'm, I also wrote the book for those people in Chapter 3. I talk about my older brother who have found themselves stuck or they're having a difficult time finding their way in life. Um, so uh, I share a number of stories in the book concerning that. Mm. Are you going to share that story with us a little bit later on about your brother? I'd be happy to. Yeah. Um, I mean, that sounds a very... A very you know, a blessed situation actually. I think what you would, you described there in terms of the, the, the lessons that your father taught you, um, do you think that had a, you know, a big impact on your career growing quickly, being brought up in that sort of environment? Because, uh, you know, those sorts of things, I never remember having, you know, bless him, he's, uh, he's actually come to see me today, having conversations with my father about leadership and tenacity and grit. It wasn't the kind of background I was from. I think I had to discover those later on. Um, so, do you mean, do you see that as a real blessing then, having, be brought up in that sort of environment. Yeah, my father was involved, as both of us were at a point in time in our career, also in the cookie industry, a company called Archway Cookies. And, and uh, later in his career, as I was growing up, he had uh, partial ownership of the Illinois in the states, the state of Illinois franchise for Archway Cookies, which means there was a factory manufacturing plant and, and trucks and distribution systems for that uh, geographical area. And I remember whenever going to that plant and walking the plant floor with my father, how happy everyone was. And at the Christmas party, he would have all their children, all the employees' children there, and, and Santa Claus would be there. And it was almost that, that at work it was an extension of his own personal family, and it was very evident that people absolutely loved him, and he understood his role, and his role was there to help them be successful. Wow, what a, what a, a wonderful 
person to uh, to look up to and sh- and to, to share you know a great example with you. And, then, and a little later in life, I had the opportunity. He came out of retirement, and we actually worked together um, in a manufacturing plant. Um, that produced products for branded companies and uh, valuable, valuable lesson. Having just sold my own company as being the CEO of the company, I, I thought I would be able to transition to this new role being the general manager or CEO. And my father quickly taught me that, no, what you're going to do is go out to the back of the plant and you're not going to come up to the, back to the office until you know everyone's name, you know everything there is to know about their family, what the, their likes and dislikes and hobbies because, because that's how you really build trust. And how you build trust is starting with awareness. Because if you're not aware of something, uh, people are afraid of what they're not knowledgeable about, what they're not aware of. So in order to build lasting relationships, which is so important in fully integrated teams, you really need to up the, the level of awareness and trust. Great. We've just got a couple of minutes till we're going to go to, to three minutes to commercial break. But I, I mean, from your perspective, what are the issues that you really see with teams? today in the marketplace? Well, there are so many teams that I've been part of uh, that are dysfunctional for a variety of reasons. And by dysfunctional, I mean that individually and collectively, they function in a way that doesn't reach their desired state for an individual or the team. So everybody kind of loses. So metaphorically speaking, I, I speak of this in the book, it's teams are kind of like our own human bodies is the way I view it. And our bodies are made up of billions of cells coming together in a harmony of labor that allows us to be who we are and do what we do. And teams are very similar. So individuals, you know, like our bodies, create systems working together, and they, they do that to, to deliver a promise to the marketplace. So when something unwanted enters our body, just like when an unwanted or unfit team member members uh, joins our team, it needs to be addressed quickly. Um, and so fit teams are all about that. It's all about being aligned, linked, and synced but sharing a common purpose and common principles. Mm. I think that analogy there, the, the cellular analogy, is a, is a really interesting one. There's a book, I don't know if you've ever come across, it's by um, Bruce Lipton, which was about um, you know, about cells and about how they learn and how you can teach them, I thought was quite fascinating. Um, just, uh, well, so I'm trying to remember what the name of that was in the break. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe it was The Biology of Belief. I believe I, I, I believe, that's it, yeah. Yeah, it's a great book. And, you know, the other thing is I believe every leader or team member has a moral and ethical obligation to help people be successful. Again, lessons learned from my father. And sometimes that even means finding a different team for them to be on in an organization to be in. You know, it's just not fair to people if you if you notice that they're miserable in their life or in their work. Uh, you need to address that. So that's one of the one of the things I've come across in my career of recognizing functional versus dysfunctional teams and really understanding the root cause as to why. Mm. Great title for a book there, Lessons Learned from My Father. There we um, go. And There we go. Well, we're going to go to commercial break now, which will be back again in just a couple of minutes, and we'll start to go into the different elements of um, shortly fully integrated teams. So we shall be back in about another couple of minutes. Great. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. 
one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you, like most Americans, spend the majority of your life at work? Are you making it the joy that it deserves to be, or are you feeling drained and unfocused? Tune in to A Great Place to Work with hosts Kurt Kaufman and Dr. Kathy Sorensen. Your hosts have more than 30 years of experience in workplace consulting and are ready to bring you the secrets and success stories of businesses who are making their business a great place to work. Listen every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and enjoy a better workplace and when a it better comes to life. Business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com That's info at bemoreachievemore.com Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, Chris Cooper of bemoreachievemore.com and cc1consulting.com. I'm talking with Jim Layton. We're talking about uh, fully integrated teams. And Jim, I'd love you just to explain, uh, when we were planning for this interview, you talked about toxic cultures and the prizes for getting it right. Um, do you want to explain what you mean by that? Yeah, that's a great question, um, and I would I would answer that question with a question. So how many trees grow in the Antarctic, or how many grow above a certain elevation, say 12,000 feet? And the answer is none. And people and the members of teams are similar to trees, that individuals grow in nutrient-rich, toxic-free environments. And our jobs as servant leaders is really to create, you know, and continually cultivate our organization's environment for our people. And this is what I refer to as the fit model um, and cultural fit. So when we assess people for our organization, we have deep conversations relative to cultures or uh, the values of or the environment of the organization and how well that fits that individual. Um, so we want to make sure that, again, we provide this nutrient-rich uh, environment and try and remove any, any toxics that would get in the way. So is that toxic? Is that all about uh, behavior or does that actually include the environment as well? I mean, the, the, the office space and, and where, where people actually work? It's, it's all the above. It's, uh, I like to use the term everything communicates. So if you, uh, and we'll talk about the why of a company a little later, I believe, but it's very important that you're consistent in your communications and, and, and who you are and how you behave and everything from the environment, the physical environment of where, where, where the individual as well as, uh, the behaviors of the people in the organization. Uh, because every organization and within organizations, and so culture is critically important. So what I typically ask individuals in the assessment phase, um, and I would also suggest that they continue to ask themselves after they join a team or an organization, is is the culture working for you? And does it feel right? You know, does the shirt fit? And 
Uh, if it doesn't, then ask yourself why and address those issues within that environment that just aren't working for you. Right. I think if, if people, you know, only take a couple of things from this interview, I mean, um, a couple of things that I, I think are really well worth remembering is that phrase that you said there, nutrient rich, toxic, free environment. I, I think that's a wonderful way of articulating an environment and, and a wonderful way to kind of reflect on your organization. Is it nutrient rich? Uh, is it toxic free? And I also, the other thing, Jim, I think she's very, very powerful. It's just to think of yourself as a servant leader. I'm not sure there are, you know, lots of leaders out there who see themselves as servant leaders. I think that's a very powerful phrase. Yeah, I think uh, it's really about the connection where those two connect. And that's one of the things that differentiates this concept of fit. So, for instance, what's critically important, I have found, is that in the industrial age and understanding how we, in America, how we built this great company, country or Great Britain, how that country was built. It took people in factories working with their left side of their brain, um, doing exactly what we tell them to do. But in today's age, we're asking people to be much more creative, much more right brain. That's kind of where the jobs of the future are and so forth. So what's critically important is that we understand the needs of the individual because individuals, especially younger individuals joining the, in, entering the workforce today, are different than you and I were uh, years ago. And their needs are different, and they're looking for more meaningful work. They're looking for intrinsic satisfaction in their work. And so in order to uh, to provide that, one of the things that we have to do is provide that nutrient-rich environment, which, uh, to make that comment real, means things like, Okay, where do you want to do? What do you want to do with your life? What are your dreams? What are, what's important to you? And then how is we? How can we as an organization or me as a servant leadership help you get there? So it's a it's a social contract between the organization and the individual. Where I think historically it's always been just hiring people, tell them what to do, and we pay you extrinsically, and therefore you should be motivated. That no longer works. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> I think uh, I think you occasionally find that, and uh, and I wonder. I I watched uh, I don't watch um, a huge amount of television. However, there was something over here in the UK. Whether whether you've seen it over in America, it was about uh, Selfridge, and we have a big, huge store, Selfridges in London, and Selfridge was uh, American. Um, but I, I think they that business would have been set up in the you know the early sort of twentieth century. However, he had a real kind of conscience, and and that sort of nutrient rich toxic free environment he seemed to try and create which i think really helped that organization however it's not how you would generally imagine business having been at that sort of era uh, maybe some people were ahead of the time yeah i mean lots of key, lots of companies they all have smart people so i always argue that smart people do not lead to a competitive advantage i mean th th those are table stakes really what differentiates great organizations is how those in individuals interact and how the organization interacts with the individual and the individual with the organization. And that's the intersection that I talk about and the importance of that intersection in FIT. So, so to, let's talk about the key elements of FIT. I mean, what are they? Well, FIT is um, it's really built around uh, five key elements, and I call it the FIT house. So, you know, just like a house would be constructed in a certain sequence, you first need to pick, say, the right lot in which to build. Then you design the house. Then you lay the foundation. Um, and you want to, again, you're not going to build a, a house on a uh, on a toxic 
rich in it, something that's that's nutrient rich, and really the foundation is the individual and the organization's purpose. This is the foundation, and this is different. Um, a lot of organizations approach this much differently. They start with what I call the promise or the what. So your purpose is your foundation. It's your reason for being or why you exist as an individual or an organization. So, for instance, Disney. A lot of people are familiar with Disney. Their purpose is to make people happy. Matthew Kelly, who wrote the book, uh, the forward to my book, is to help people become the best version of themselves. And mine is to serve individuals, organizations, and, and hopefully even societies by teaching, helping, and helping them learn, live, and lead a fit life. So once you've established your principles, then you build on, or your purpose, you build on that with your principles. So if you and I were to align ourselves and become team members, it's critically important that we share the same purpose, but also that we share the same principles. And these are the non-negotiable guardrails of your life. They are your core values that you hold so deeply that you will not allow yourself uh, in any way um, even if you're harmed, you won't let go of them. You will not betray your principles. And making sure that people in the organization understand these non-negotiables is critically important so people are consistent with their behavior. And not everyone is going to buy into your purpose, and not everyone is going to align with your principles. So your next uh, step in building that fit house is the selection of your team members or the people. Uh, and... Once you find people that share in your purpose, they align with your principles, then you create your team. Once your team is created, then you define your promise. And your promise is really the what of what you do. You know, doctors, uh, doctor, a company builds, uh, say a car company builds cars. So it's, it's the promise of what you do and what you promise to the marketplace. And then the last step is, is really place. And that's where your promise manifests itself. So, um, Everything from your promise to your place, it's it's the physical what or the service that you provide out in the marketplace. So I mean, many you, know, you describe that as like a house, and you kind of kind of build it as a house. However, you know, the organizations of people listening to this who've had a business which is running for a period of has run for a period of time, it's kind of I guess going back and putting some of those foundations maybe back in place. So I mean, how do you? make the transition, perhaps, to being purpose-driven, for example? Well, one way to do it, and there's a lot of research behind this, and we did it in the current um, uh, company which I'm involved with, is to go back and create um, your vision, what I refer to as a vision framework. And a vision framework is the foundation upon which all strategies uh, are built. And just jump right into the strategy without creating a vision framework. And what I mean by a vision framework is to go find what your purpose is. Why are you as an organization in business, as an example, and to clearly articulate that. That is a difficult uh, question for a lot of people to answer. And as an example, is they started with their purposes to make people happy. Apple, the computer company, said, well, you know, we're going to put a dent in the universe. So once you do that, then the next thing you define are your principles or your values. And those are typically four or five uh, very short sentences about what is very, very important that you will hold on to in an organization, even if challenged. And sometimes a real test of a value or a principle is you will even, you will allow yourself to be harmed by holding on to those, uh, to those principles. And I guess they're, they're, um, 
the people who don't live by them, I guess they're things that you would fire people on if they didn't deliver. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, especially if um, if it's consistent. And and again, that's why I use the term fit because if people are behaving or thinking in a way that are not aligned with your principles, that needs to be addressed because everybody notices it. And if it's not consistent with your organizational purpose, those individuals within it, then you're really losing who you really are. You're becoming too many things to too many people, and you lose your identity. Mm. Who, who do you think out there you know, does this really well? Um, do you have any leaders that really inspired you with their principles? Well, I think as organizations, and in Jim Collins, I don't know if your listeners are you're real familiar with his work, uh, Good to Great, Built to Last, uh, How the Mighty Fall, and Great by Choice are, are four of his books. But he wrote those all based upon the specific questions. In the term, and he's really a researcher. He's a statistician. Uh, lives in Boulder, Colorado, here in the states. And you know what? What he really found is that um, what really differentiates an organization are organizations that clearly understand their their purpose. And what he found is those that have a purpose have a, a much higher return on investment. So the leaders of those organizations that are most inspirational and are most successful um, are organizations that, number one, get this concept, and number two, they have a tremendous amount of tenacity. They, he found that they work extremely, extremely hard, and they many of them have egos, of course, because these are CEOs of companies, but they have a what he refers to as a tremendous amount of humility, and what he means by humility is he, he found these, these successful people in these, of these great companies are in it not for themselves. They're in it for the cause. They're in it for the individuals. They're in it for something other than themselves. And that's what fully integrated team, again, it's about a group of people coming together with diverse skills, diverse, uh, diverse backgrounds, but coming together around this common purpose and sharing common principles to create something no one individual. And the leaders uh, that really inspire me, that really hold on to their principles or People like we talked about my father, um, of course, here in the States, Abraham Lincoln would be a good one, Mother Teresa. I mean, you can go on and on and on. Of course, we could flip that that page over and, and you could ask the inverse question, and that is um, who, who are individuals that seem not to uh, have and be founded in their principles, but I won't get into my answer to that. <laughs> no, we won't, won't draw you on that. Um, I think maybe we, it's, we should go to a commercial break now. And uh, we shall be back then with you in about another couple of minutes. Right. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. How can we Americans realize our dreams to earn a living? How can you pursue your dream and make money as an owner or an employee? 
Learn how at the American Business Person, the online weekly radio talk show hosted by Rich Killian. Today's business leaders share how to succeed and what fails. If you own a new or established business or ever hope to, you must tune in. Join us every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Central, and noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Or listen on demand to our archived shows. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, Chris Cooper, bemorechiefmore.com. Um, with uh, Jim Layton, we're talking about uh, fully integrated teams. And Jim, we talked about about purpose and having a clear purpose, being purpose-driven and living with your principles. Um, I'm just interested to understand with you, with yourself, you clearly have all of these these uh, great purpose and, and wonderful principles that uh, you were inspired with um, through your father. And now you've uh, a president of uh, Purdue. Um, I wonder how aligned are your personal principles and purpose to Purdue, and what do you do if there is a difference? Yeah, I'd be happy to talk about that. Um, Purdue's purpose, the reason that Purdue exists, we happen to be in the chicken business. Again, that's the promise or what we do, but it's not our purpose. Our purpose is not going to change. The purpose of this organization is to enhance the quality of life for everyone we touch. And our principles are around our, quali- our quality of everything we do, not just the products that we produce, but the quality of our people, the quality of the relationships with all of our stakeholders, um, its teamwork, its integrity, its sustainability. And the way that we view those principles is they all ladder up to one thing, and that is trust. And our vision for our company, which is an aspirational statement, is to become the most trusted name in food and agriculture. So my question back to myself is, to your question to me is, okay, how aligned are you, Jim Layton, with that? And I am perfectly aligned. As a matter of fact, that's why I joined this company. Yeah, I, and actually, it's a it's a, a beautiful statement that I think, uh, and trust is certainly something that's so important today. Um, I, I love the book because uh, if you read Stephen M. R. Covey's book, The Speed of Trust. Uh, it's a it's a long book, but I think the key, some of the key principles there are just so important and well worth studying. Um, trust certainly makes a, a big difference, I think, to business performance today. And with I guess with the internet and with the me- social media and those sorts of things, it's even more important, isn't it? Yeah, trust is the oil in the engine. Um, without trust, and I, and I have read his book, The Speed of Trust, everything slows down, and it's it's readily apparent. When you walk into an organization, you can sense the level of trust in that organization between individuals within the organization. Um, it's very apparent. High-trusting organizations are high-energy organizations. They move quickly. Um, they're very aware of their surroundings. People are very aware of each other, and, again, they understand the importance of of humility and helping the, uh, the other person in servant leadership. It kind of all goes together. Mm. And another kind of principle that I really took from that book, which I think is worth reflecting on in this sort of context, is that you know what he said was that people 
judge themselves, I guess organizations may judge themselves based on their intentions, but other people will always judge you on your behavior. Uh, there can be a, a mismatch between between uh, your intention and uh, your behavior. That's right. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, you are uh, a summation of the actions and decisions you make in your life and the relationships that you've forged. Yes, yes. Very, very, very true. Um, so let's move on to uh, to the people then. You know, clearly, people are a really essential component to any team. How, how Jim, do you recommend selecting and then engaging the right people? Well, I created a, uh, a fit model, and I did this when I was teaching postgraduate classes in leadership and organizational behavior for working adults who were coming to my class one night a week from 6.30 p.m. until 10. And uh, we worked on this for a while, and basically the way that it works, and I use it as a process for um, for hiring people and selection, is it's three concentric circles that overlap. So the conversation kind of goes like this, and that is we as an organization have needs. We articulate those needs to the individual, and then we assess the individual skills or capabilities relative to fulfilling those organizational needs. And typically, if there's an overlap, then most organizations would move forward, but they're missing three critical components in that conversation, in, in that assessment. One is passion. I always ask an individual, what is it that you're passionate about? And then I go into the five whys because I'm really trying to understand deeply what that individual is passionate about and why. By asking that question as it relates to the job opportunity, you learn a lot about that individual and you learn uh, a lot about their fit relative to the organization's purpose and principles. So once you have assessed the uh, overlap of skills, needs, and passions, then we talk about this environment that we were talking about earlier, and I ask an individual, explain to me your situation, if you've had a situation in your professional life or even your personal life, where the, cult, the culture or the environment just didn't, didn't work. So basically what I'm asking them to do is explain what a toxic environment is, and they do so, and then that way I can assess if the environment here is, uh, is fitting of the individual. So the last component that most people miss is what I was talking about a little earlier, is the individual at the same time should be assessing the organization's need, uh, the organization's skills to fulfill the individual's needs, both extrinsically through compensation as well as intrinsically through fulfilling work. They should also be assessing the organization's passion. If you're interviewing with eight people, how passionate do you think these eight people that you just met were about you? What are your dreams? What are your aspirations? What's the organization going to do about it? Do they really care? And, and that provides a much better assessment, conversation, and tool um, for people to, to make sure that they find the proper fit in life in the proper organization and join the proper teams. So when I was doing this with my students, those students who really took the I would find about 10 to 20% of them over a 10-week period were making significant changes in their situation. They were either changing their job within an organization, some of them left an organization, some of them got promoted, some of them had difficult conversations with their boss, um, some of them went home and assessed their home team a little bit differently. So um, it was very fulfilling to step back from who they are and what they do and really assess their current situation relative to where and how they fit in life. Great. So, so this process actually is very helpful for an employer in terms of how they go about 
recruiting people, but also it's a helpful process for uh, the person who is being uh, interviewed uh, to understand how best to assess whether that organization is a good fit for them. Right, and there's a lot of research done relative to the cost of a bad hire. Um, you know, when, when you bring an individual into a situation or an organization and you get it wrong, it's very, very costly for the organization as well as it's very, very costly for the individual. So the way I personally view this um, and, and professionally view this is I have an ethical and moral, uh, moral obligation to find the best fit between an individual and the organization as I possibly can. So not only is it an assessment tool to bring on new team members, but it's, I consistently use this in, as a tool to assess current, current team members to level of fit. Um, what's, um, what, what's, what, what, what's your kind of recommendations then if you've got somebody in your team who's underperforming? How do you approach that? Well, this is probably one of the biggest challenges leaders have in organizations because it's one of the more challenging things to do. Number one, if you have a high level of trust between yourself and your other team members, it's an easier conversation because the higher level of trust, the lower the level of fear. But if you're really having someone in your organization or on your team underperform, you really need to sit down and, again, I think you have a moral and ethical obligation to ask the question, why? And most people do. They ask one why, but I ask five whys. And what five whys does, meaning ask why five times. So every time a person answers your question, you ask them why. And what that allows you to do, Chris, is it gets you to the root cause, and finally you'll get there. And then you find and need to assess and have a conversation. Can you address it? Is it a capability issue? Is it an environmental issue? Is something going on at home that we're not aware of? But something is impacting that individual's performance. It might be clarity of of expectations or lack of clarity of expectations. And I found um, that that works very, very good. But the important thing is, if someone is underperforming, in your organization or on your team, address it immediately and find out why before it goes too far. Okay. I'm trying to imagine that sequence of five whys. How do you do, best do that in a, in a way that's kind of non-confrontational? Is it about just about the style and the way that you deliver it? Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think the most important thing is, is again, if, say, for instance, you're a, you're a supervisor and you're working with someone on your team and you're supervising that supervising that individual. That's why the level, again, of trust is very important because you start the conversation by talking about not sure what's going on here. You know, uh, when you last year, you had a great year. You're performing very, very well. But what we need to do is really get into and understand how I can help you get back to the level of performance where you were. And then you get into the more challenging conversation as to why do you think you're having these issues? And then they start answering those questions. And that helps you get to the real reason they're having the issues. Yeah, yeah, because uh, sometimes then, I guess sometimes either they they might be covering up or they might not have fully explored it themselves, <laughs> just felt a disease, I guess. Yeah, I found that many times is it, it, it almost emerges in the conversation because they have not asked themselves deeply enough really to what the reason is. And I found a, a pretty high percentage of time that, it's something outside the workplace that's affecting yeah. their their uh, work performance. Yeah. And so the next, um, I think, really helpful that. Um, thank you. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people will find that uh, the five whys very useful. 
Um, what do you mean then with the fourth element was the promise? You know, tell us a bit more about the promise. How, how do you articulate that? Um, what is it? Yes, uh, Simon Sinek wrote a book called uh, uh, Start With What Promises, what he refers to as the what. And the what is basically the physical product that you produce. And I just refer to it as the promise because the reason I do, it's really the individual organization's promise to um, to the stakeholders. So if you have a customer, it's really what you promise to do. Uh, at Purdue, we promise, say, uh Kroger, which is a retail customer of ours, to deliver on time. We're going to do, We again, one of our values is, is integrity. But we set up whatever these customers, we're going to make sure that we hold ourselves responsible and accountable to that. So the promise at Purdue is chicken. That's what we do. Um, the promise at uh, United Biscuits is cookies. Uh, but, but, again, the point is organizations, too many of them, just like as individuals, start with their promise when they should really start with their purpose. I see. Okay. So, so the, uh, the the promise is, is the promise to your customers. Is, is that not quite similar, though, to some of your principles? It is. I'd say the principles are more on how you do it, and I'd mm. say the promise is more as what you do. I see. So that, so that describes what you do. So hence, delivery of being, delivery on time and integrity and things like that would fit into the what? The principles. Into, that would fit into the, so into yeah. the principles, yeah. yeah. Um, and your, your promise then, so with the, the example that you just gave me there with uh, the customer who you promised to deliver on time, um, what, what, how would you, just, just share a little bit more with me in terms of what, um, what that promise entails and how that's, how that's different or consistent with your principles. Yeah, I'll, try and, I'll try and clarify. Yeah, can I clarify? <laughs> yeah, let me clarify it, and I'll use, I'll use other terms. Um, uh, for instance, if you first started with why, in other words, why do you exist, um, I refer to that as a purpose, but first start with why, and then the next question you would ask yourself is how. The how you're going to do it is you're going to deliver on time, you're going to deliver the quantities that were requested, and so forth. And then the what or the promise is, is what is it that you're delivering? We deliver chicken. So our, our real promise is the chicken. And to your point, the principles are really of the how we do it and, and our, and our purpose is why we do it. I see. That's, um, that's clear. That's really clear for me now. What's your, what's your favorite story to kind of articulate that point? Well, I think the whole concept, one of my favorite stories is the, is chapter three in my book and it's, it's a story about my mother, uh, a very, very capable, uh, very well-known plastic reconstructive surgeon who uh, started his career by putting, literally putting people back together, burn victims, people that have been shot. So he, he honed his skills in the emergency room, you know, almost 24-7, always on call. But then later in life, his practice changed, and he's a plastic surgeon, and his practice changed to do more cosmetic uh, elective surgeries. And then about seven years ago, I received a call. He lives in Paradise Valley in uh, Arizona here in the States from my uh, sister-in-law, and he was a no-show. He had surgery scheduled that day to go into work, uh, but his practice had turned to almost 99% cash on the barrel head. You know, I'm getting, I get a lot more money for people that want nose jobs or facelifts or all the other stuff that he was skilled to do. But what he found is that he had lost his, his purpose 
in life. In other words, why was he there? And he refers to himself in the book, and I apologize for the quote, as a surgical prostitute. So he was really doing it for extrinsic reasons, and he kind of lost his, his why he did what he did. And then we convinced him to come out of retirement a couple years later, and now he's back to putting people together and changing lives by doing a lot of pro bono work, travels around the world. He's helping children with cleft palates. He has a number of burn victims that have come from all different parts of, of the world who uh, they bring him in and uh, are in desperate need of great medical help, and, and they do it pro bono. The hospital provides the time in the surgical room, and my brother provides the skills and it's just so cool to see someone like him live in a way that's now back based upon his purpose. He has clear principles, and his promise is what he does with his skills. And it's a wonderful example of where skills, needs, and passions come together that benefit people. And in return, what he gets by giving so much is it's extremely intrinsic fulfilling for him. So, so he'd become a bit detached, really, from his, his core, really. Yeah, I mean, he refers to he was doing surgery on on people with way too much disposable income, and uh, and he was fulfilling wants instead of needs. So, um, and he does still does a little bit of that, but his practice is mostly about really helping people who really need help. Right, I can uh, I can very much relate to that myself, and uh, I guess that things like this show have come out of the the desire to to give back and add value and to to more people um that's why i do it i I got lost myself in the in the corporate world a few years ago when i kind of lost the sense of who i was and the last few years has enabled me to to get it back i think it's really important uh life can be much more fulfilling i think yeah totally totally agree you know i mean if and steve jobs said this in his commencement speech at, at stanford university and one of the things that steve would do is he'd wake up in the morning and he would ask himself is he is he happy about what he's doing? Is he is he fulfilled? Is he enjoying it? And if he would go three or four days, and the answer to that was no, then he would change something. I think that's a really uh, a, a good good thing, isn't it? Just to keep uh, testing back. And is that why? I mean, so we're going to drop the break, by the way, because um, I want to continue uh, this talking with you. Is is that why you have decided to? You know, write the book fit and I, I imagine you're talking about it and things like that outside the fact that you've got a, a very significant uh, job role. Yeah, uh, one of the reasons I, I wrote the book is because throughout my career I've seen so many people and I've even done this myself um, and I, I will admit it and that is that quit and, I call it quit and stay. So you enter an organization, you're excited, you join a team, it could be a sport team, it could be at work or whatever it is and you go through this phase where you're really high in energy, you're putting everything in, and I've seen so many people for some reason, uh, which is what the fit model is all about in assessing this, continuing to assess your fit relative to your passions. Are you still passionate about what you do? Do you have the skills? Are you fulfilling the organization's needs? Are the needs, are your needs being fulfilled by that organization? And people that continually find that's what I call the sweet spot of the fit model are the ones who are happier, they achieve more, the individual has a, a higher return on their investment, and the organization has a significantly higher on their investment in that relationship with the employee. Brilliant. I, I think there's, there's been one or two innovative organizations that have allowed people to do some personal projects in their own time and things like that. Is that is that something that you advocate? Um, be, you know, having um, 
having the opportunity to bring more of yourself into your job? Oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, one of the things that, that we do here at, uh, at Purdue is we spend uh, quite a bit of time and effort um, around community service as individuals as well as uh, groups. Um, and so we, we, we have a lot of volunteers, volunteer a lot of time. About three weeks ago, I was involved with um, it was hundreds of employees across multiple sites on what we call Project Clean Stream. So we'd go to specific areas here in the States or in Maryland, and, uh, and we'd, we'd go to a specific area that, interestingly, that was uh, toxic rich. So, you know, unfortunately, people are driving down the road and they throw their garbage out the window or whatever, and we spend a full day just cleaning that up and, and making the environment, uh, you know, just a much better environment for the community. So, uh, and it applies back to work because again, everything communicates. So we want to make sure that we're, we're very engaged in the community as well as inside our own company. Right. Is, and is that, uh, the final, the final point was place. Um, is, is that what you mean by place, by environment? Yeah. The place, yeah, the place is, uh, really where your, uh, promise, uh, manifests itself. It's, it's the physical time and the physical, uh, pay place that uh, where your promise resides. So to to interpret that to real language, and again, maybe I can use Purdue, the physical place would be at a retailer on the shelf. So our chicken, which is our promise, is basically merchandised in a store on, on certain shelves within that store. So again, the concept is you start with your purpose. You create your principles, you, you, you uh, select your people, and then you determine what it is that you're going to do, which is your promise, and then your place is really the physical manifestation of what it is that you do. I see. Uh, I see. So it, it's not necessarily the, just the location. It's uh, maybe where the, where the product is in, out there in the marketplace. So presenting it in a, an appropriate way and and the right kind of distribution channels and things like that. It's, it, it's, it's much broader than just the environment in the office that your team works in. Oh, exactly. And, and it's also, it's a very important that, again, I, I use, I overuse the term everything communicates. So in, in consumer packaged goods is an example. What you put on your package needs to be consistent with your purpose and your promise and, and your entire fit model. Um, because if it isn't, you're going to uh, to have a difficult time reaching your vision if it's to be the most trusted name in food and agriculture. Because if you're sending mixed messages out there, again, you're not building trust. Excellent. Now, you describe getting fit as being a movement in, in some of the literature that was sent across to me. I wonder, how do people go about joining it? Well, you can go to jimlayton.com. Um, and join it. Uh, but, you know, when I wrote the book, uh, I had no intention of creating a movement. Uh, but it's interesting because I wasn't selling. I mean, I wasn't even, when I first wrote the book, I wasn't even thinking about selling the book. But someone who read it said, Jim, you might want to put it on Amazon.com or something. And it's been extremely well received because, and I think one of the reasons it has is because people are drawn to it. Um, I'm not out marketing it. I'm not pushing it. I'm not promoting it. I'm really just talking about it, and not everybody is going to get fit. In other words, and that is a play on words, by the way. Um, people won't understand it. People won't align with it, but I'm okay with that. That's all right. But what I have found is a number of people have and a number of people have joined this movement. Right. Now, just what we've got about another sort of minute or two, 
I just want to ask you really to, in summary, Jim, I mean, what are the key messages that you'd like to leave people behind with today? I think the key is both organizationally and individually, make sure you find that intersection between skills, needs, and passion in the social contract between the organization and the individual. But even more than that, um, step back every once in a while from who you are and what you do and ask yourself, am I living a fit life, both organizationally and individually? And am I leading a fit team? And if not, why not? And really step back and assess your situation from time to time and ask yourself, those, those sometimes very difficult questions. And then depending upon your answer, then go after it. For instance, every morning when I wake up, I have four dimensions of my life that I work on. I work on my spiritual fitness. I work on my emotional fitness. I work on my intellectual fitness. And I work on my physical fitness. When I arrive at work, I also work on the fiscal fitness of this organization. So it's a piece of advice would be step back, assess yourself every once in a while, you're supposed to do it. You can use what you got out of this conversation to do it. But I found it so important. And the people that follow this and do it, they are very passionate, engaged people who live very intentionally and they live happy lives. Fabulous. I think that's a great point to end the show on. Thanks so much, Jim, for being on. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Likewise. I very much appreciate it. And I enjoyed it. Thanks. You're very welcome. And if you want to find more information on Jim Layton and the book, uh, fit, go to www.jimlayton.com. That's L-E-I-G-H-T-O-N.com. If you have any questions or feedback, please send them to Chris at bemoreachievemore.com. Uh, leave them on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash bemoreachievemore. I'd uh, love to hear from you. So any comments, always appreciated. On next week's show, we've got Brian Main. Um, Brian Main joined us uh, initially September 2011 and did a show with me on goal mapping. And um, we're going to talk about life mapping next week and, and an authentic leadership and uh, some key principles to develop uh, your life and success as an authentic leader. Uh, Brian is an absolutely fascinating individual who now speaks all over the world um, and has an amazing life story. So do join me again next week. And in the meantime, um, have a fabulous week. And thanks again, Jim Layton. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Be More, Achieve More. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, typically 4 p.m. London on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your week. Enjoy your week.